Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do next? Anybody been there? Yeah, you're in church, remember? You have to be honest, right? I, I heard about this, I, I hope it's a true story, but one of the presidents of the U.S., when he got into the White House, he decided to invite the village where he was born to the White House. Harland, huh? Ireland. Oh, yeah, well, it is. It wasn't in Ireland, but it was uh, one in the States. Yeah, most of them do come from Ireland, yeah. He didn't invite the whole of Ireland. That would have not fitted in the White House. But he invited this village where he grew up, and, and the villagers all got together. There wasn't, you know, hundreds of them, but there was, and they went, well, this is a bit like, we're just like rural village people. You know, not the band, but you know what I'm saying. So they, they got there, and, and out in front of them, they had this massive dinner and these, like, this whole spread of cutlery and everything. They, they were used to, you know, ni one knife, one fork. They had, like, umpteen knives, forks, spoons going everywhere. And they all went, like, what do we do? Like, we've never been to anywhere like this. Don't know how to behave. What do we do? What do we do? And one of them came up with this idea. They said, let's just watch the president and copy whatever he does. So wherever, whatever knife he picks up, we'll pick that knife up. Whatever fork he picks up, we'll pick up that fork. So that's what they did. And for the whole meal, every time another course came in, they just glanced down the table, saw what the guy did, and then did the same thing. It was all going great, apparently, until it came to dessert. Because the dessert came in, with the coffee and the tea, and all the, you know, the staff went around, would you like coffee, would you like tea? And the president, you know, I'll have a coffee. So they, they had their, and then what happened was that when the president got his coffee, he took the cup out of the saucer, and he poured some milk into the saucer. And they thought, maybe that's what we're supposed to do in the White House. So they all started pouring milk into the saucer. Then he put the saucer on the ground and whistled for the cat to come in. The cat thought he had died and gone to heaven because he had just a whole row of saucers. But, you know, sometimes when we, when we get into those situations we don't know what to do, we make bad choices, don't we? It kind of goes well for a while, but then after a while, you know, we, we follow the saucer routine and things just don't go as they should do. The book of James is written, as I said last time, is written about 45 AD, right? Somewhere around there. So it's written quite soon after Jesus has gone back up into heaven, maybe 10 years or so. And so like the, the early church are kind of wondering, well, what do we have to do? What, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus now that Jesus is no he not here any longer? What, what are we supposed to do in all these situations? And all they've got is the Old Testament, but then Jesus kind of like has, has thrown that all up into a bit of confusion and said, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament, but we, we're not supposed to do the things that we used to do in the Old Testament. So what, what do we do? How, how do we behave as Christians? And James, who was the, 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 the half-brother, I guess, of Jesus, came from Mary. He was Jesus' you know, brother, different father. But it, he was the head of the church in Jerusalem, and he wrote this letter. And it's kind of like 
They say it's like the New Testament Proverbs because it's full of what you do. That's why people love it because it's just down to earth. It's kind of like this is how we are supposed to behave as believers in Jesus Christ. And he sent it out to all the believers. It says like this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, that, that means basically to everybody, scattered among the nations, greetings. Now notice James. Notice what he calls himself, first of all. No name dropping, is there? James, the brother of Jesus. James, the apostle or the, the bishop in charge of the most important church that we have in the Christian empire in Jerusalem. He just says, James, what? A servant. Does away. What a humble guy to start with. This is somebody you want to listen to, right? No name dropping right at the outset. Off he goes. Let's see what he says in the first few verses. What a way to start a letter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It doesn't, not really a big intro there, is it? To be honest, let's get down to business. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall, falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Wow. You get all of that? So you don't need me to explain it to you, okay? It's like, what, what is this guy on? It's like he starts off, consider it pure joy, my friends, and then all of a sudden he flips over to something else, and then he flips over to something else, and then he's talking about the rich and the poor, and what's that got to do with anything anyway? And then he goes back, and then he finally comes back to trials again, and then he's like, well, temptation slips in there somewhere, and whoo, what is he talking about? 
Let's see if we can unpack it a little bit this morning. You see, James goes straight into the core of life, doesn't he? There's no intro, preface, niceties. It's wonderful to be able to write to you guys. Boom. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The first thing we notice is, as he's talking about trial and temptation, is that we all face them. He recognizes that, right? In life, you're going to face trials and temptations. Consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face. Not if, but when. Anyone here never had a trial or a temptation? I thought not. Me too. They come. It's a reality. I remember a, a number of years ago, pre-COVID, BC, before COVID, I did a 10K, well, they called it a fun run. I don't know what's fun about it, but anyway, I don't know how you can have fun and 10K in the same sentence. But anyway, a 10K fun run for charity in, in Castlebury Park in Watford, raising money for a hospice. So that, that was good. And the thing was about this fun run that it wasn't just a 10K run because they had obstacles all the way around the course. The first obstacle, I remember, was this giant bouncy castle that was head to foot full of shaving foam. And you had to go in one end of the bouncy castle and come out the other end looking like Michelin Man leaving trails of foam behind you as you started running. Why? And then you carried on and there were more obstacles and different obstacles on the way. You see, we all face obstacles in life as we're going through the journey. You see, there were not only external obstacles like that. There was a water slide you had to go down. You had to wade through a river. You had to cross on these things across like stepping stones across a river that weren't even tied down. So you had to, you're going to fall in. So everybody ended up falling in. You had to go through a, uh, what do you call those? Um, where, where you, you know, oh, I can't even think of the name of it. Where, where you get all your rubbish. What's, what's across the road from us? You know, one of those big things that the lorry brings. Skip, that's the word. They filled this skip full of dirty water. And then they put kind of a tarp over it, so you had to go right under the water behind all these other people. Yeah, anyway. That's why COVID. Anyway, let's not go there. So there were external obstacles, but there were also internal ones in your mind. You know, as I was running this 10K or hopping around this 10K, my brain was going, what kind of idiot are you? Well, why don't you just give them 50 quid and call it quits and go to Costa's? You know, that would be the sensible option, wouldn't it? Make it 100, just call it a day. But no. And so your mind is like, and we all face that in life, don't we? We have internal obstacles that are saying, just, just give up, will you? Stop it. This is ridiculous. And you have the external ones that you face as well. But he says, consider it joy when you face these trials. Because he recognizes that trials and temptations 
are radically different. But he also recognizes, James, that trials and temptations can be true for the same obstacle. Think for a moment about the Garden of Eden. There was an apple tree in the middle of the garden, right? Which God put there as a trial. But Satan used as a temptation. And in our lives, we can have trials and temptations over the same thing. Let me explain to you how this works, if I can. You remember these? You see, we are born in the... What does that say? Flesh. What's the other one going to say? Spirit. See, you've been here. There are flesh and there is the way of the spirit, right? We've said that before. In our natural selves, we go the way of the flesh. We were born, that's, that's who we are, right? Our natural selves goes that way. That's the way the river is running towards the flesh. When we become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God awakens in us our spirit. And effectively, when we ask to become a believer in Jesus Christ, he turns us around. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you've got to be born of water, the flesh, and of the Spirit. Right? We get turned around by the Spirit of God and we start going in this way. And James says, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face trials of many kinds. Now, what are the trials? Well, trials are things that God brings into our lives so that we may go this way. Look at it like this. Can you ever learn to ride a bicycle by sitting in an armchair? Why not? Because you need a bicycle. You have to get on a bicycle and probably fall off a bicycle and get back on a bicycle. Why? Why can't you just read about it? Because you've got to experience it, haven't you? As I said, with a paddleboard, you've got to get on the paddleboard. Otherwise, you'll never know what it feels like. Maybe fall off the paddleboard, get back on the paddleboard. God puts things, obstacles, trials in our way. Why? To grow us. Because without them, we will never grow. You do that for children, don't you? There are things that you get them to do that they don't really want to do. Knife and fork. Why do you give them a knife and fork? They're perfectly happy using their fingers, sloshing it all over their faces. It works. Why do you try and train them? Because when you start, where does all the food go? Everywhere except their mouths. Up their nose, hair, ears, but not the mouth. But you keep persevering and you train them because you know that they will get it if you don't give up. And God says he, we need to grow. God wants you and me to grow in our spirit, and you cannot grow in your spirit by sitting comfortably in your armchair. You waste away. Why? Because the natural flow of our current is this way. You just end up drifting. You end up drifting away. You end up going the way of the flesh because that's the natural way you'll go. 
But God says, I don't want that for you. I want the best for you. And the best means that you're going to go the way of the Spirit. So to do that, I'm going to put things in your way, some things that you need to overcome. You need to go through that thing and get covered in shaving foam once in a while because that will help you to grow and to get on to the next thing. You see, the difference between a temptation and a trial is the source. God provides trials in your life. Satan provides temptations because a temptation can be the same thing. But what does a temptation do? It wants to turn you around and send you this way. What, think of Adam and Eve. There was an apple. God said, don't eat the apple. This is a trial for you. Don't eat it. Because I know that as you, as you resist this, you're going to grow. You're going to grow stronger and stronger in your trust of me and in, in what you're doing and where you're going. What does Satan do? Don't be an idiot. Eat the, eat the apple. You'll be fine. And what happened? They ate. Which way did they go? The way of the flesh. Because Satan uses the same thing so often to tempt you away. The Bible says God can't tempt us, right? But God puts trials in your way because he knows that he wants you to grow in your spirit. Look at the source of what's happening. Secondly, look at the purpose. Trials are sent. This is why he says, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face trials. Because the trial produces perseverance. Perseverance produces maturity. Come on to that. That's the process. But it's there to grow your faith. It's there for you to get to the next step, to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. It's like, anybody go to the gym? You know, when you go to the gym, why, why do you put anything on the weights? It's far easier if you just push the weight bar with no weights attached. Trust me, I've done it. You can read the paper while you're doing it. It's perfect. Right? I, c I can do a hundred of them. Just going up and down, up and down. Whams when you put the weights on. Well, it's harder work. But what happens? What's the result? You get, you get a torso like mine. Right? That's, that's what a trial is. It's the resistance that we need to help us to grow. Yeah? But a temptation will just drag you away. It's to kill your faith. You see, when a temptation and we give in to temptation, what happens? We turn our back on the trial and we start going this way. What, what are you saying? And if we keep on going this way, we kill the spirit within us. Look at the process, he says. Trial leads to perseverance. You overcome it. Strength leads to maturity. Whereas the temptation leads to your own desires, your own natural flesh stirring within you. And that desire then leads to sin where you turn your back on God and you go, I'm going to do it my way, God. And that leads to death. Death being separation from God. Temptations go this way. Trials go this way. You see the difference? And a trial produces joy. Consider it pure joy, esteem, the highest joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is like, you know in the Old Testament, the word shalom? 
means well-being, peace and, and prosperity and New Testament joy. It means consider it your, your, your best well-being if you go this way. Because God wants you to be joyous, wants you to be full, fulfilled, living in the way that He has designed us to live. Not living this way with shame and blame and mess. Consider it pure joy, my friends, he says, as you do it. But then how, how do we grow through these trials? What do we have to do? Well, the first thing he says in verse 5, and this is where all these little bits come in, I think, is he says, ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should do what? Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. The first thing we need to do when we are facing an obstacle in our life is what? Pray. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. It's often the last thing we do. What's normally the first thing we do when we face an obstacle? Try and figure it out for ourselves, isn't it? Or am I the only one? No, good. At least two or three of you that are on my wavelength here. He says, no, don't. I, I can give you the wisdom you need. Just ask me. Ask me for it. The first thing when an obstacle comes in your life is to pray. Not necessarily to pray. Second thing we do is we pray that God will remove the obstacle, isn't it? God, get this obstacle out of my way. Uh-uh. God, if this is a trial that you've sent, help me to overcome it so that I can go stronger. Help show me, this is where we need wisdom. Show me the way through this so that I can receive the joy, that I can receive the maturity, that I can grow stronger in my faith than I was before. Lord, help me to pray. The second thing he says is seek wisdom. Seek God's Word. Wisdom is found where? In the Word of God. This book, collection of books here, is the wisdom that we need. What did Jesus do when he was being tempted in the wilderness? He prayed and he quoted scripture. Why? Because he's wise. That's why we read it. That's why we try and understand it. That's why you know, we try and memorize it so that we have it available to us so that when that obstacle comes we rely on the promises of God we say yeah but yeah but God I, I don't like this but hey I know that you're going to be faithful because you promised you're going to be faithful I know you're going to help me I know the strength will be there because you promised it in your word you start quoting the word back to God as if God didn't know it hey you know your word God this is your words never changing I'm relying on it and what happens when you start quoting the word to God? You know what happens? Satan runs a mile. Satan cannot stand the word of God. Because it's this word that convicts Satan. It's this word that is Satan's downfall. So the more we know the word, the more we can use the word in those moments, the stronger we be. The shorter the distance between the obstacle and our victory over it. 
use the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the offensive weapon that we have when we're fighting against the devil in Ephesians, it says. Use it. But so often, what are the things that stop immediately when we face a trial? If you're like me, number one, your prayer life goes. Number two, the reading of his word goes. And that is where we become vulnerable. That is where the enemy then comes in and goes, you know what, I can turn this trial into a temptation. Because we back away from the two things that are critical for us to make the trial a success. The obstacle to grow us in our spirit. If we stop that, immediately you stop reading, immediately you stop praying. The enemy will come in. Did God really say, you don't need to do that. And he's the great deceiver and he'll pull you away the other way. You know in your own life, I know in mine, the number of times that's happened. Where you face something and you think, you start to question, God, why did you let this happen to me? Why, why, why are you bringing it? It's not fair, God. And then you hear the voice of the enemy saying, now nah, I get you. Now, yeah, what's the point in talking to him? He's not even listening anyway. What's the point? What's the point in reading the word? Well, it doesn't, look, promises aren't real, are they? And then you start going the way of the flesh with all its consequences. Pray and read, he says. Third thing he says, be focused, don't doubt. Verse 6 and 7. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of a sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. Double-minded means he's got mixed allegiances. He's kind of looking this way and he's looking this way all at the same time, trying to weigh it up. He's unstable in all he does. I was reading Hebrews the other day. It says it beautifully in Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Do you know what that passage is, Hebrews 11? It's where you got that, the amazing list of all the people, you know, all the people of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen, right? And then he lists by faith, by faith, by faith. Chapter 12, he says, Therefore, after all these people, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. We need to keep our focus on Christ. As I said, the easiest thing that happens when we face obstacles is that we end up turning around so easily. We take our eyes off of Christ and we put them on the obstacle or on other things. He says, don't do that. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And this is where the church comes in. This is where we, we need one another. You see a brother and sister who's going through an obstacle, going through a trial, 
It's your job to encourage them, to keep their eyes fixed on the Lord, to keep their eyes fixed on the cross of Christ. That's why we're here. You see somebody struggling, go up to them and say, hey, you, you know, don't go up and say, yeah, you look terrible. Like, no. It's kind of, you know. But go up and say, hey, can I, can I pray for it? Can I help you? Can I support you? Can I journey with you? Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2, right? And so fulfill the law of Christ. This is where we need one another. That's why the church is here, one of the reasons. So that we can encourage one another, stand by one another, pray for one another. One of the greatest friends that I got, he, you know, he, he's so irritating. Because he just keeps asking, you know, how's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading going? Just shut up. You know. And the Lord always uses him when it's not going so well. Really irritating. When it's going well, and I'm kind of talking to him, I'm thinking, now ask, now ask. But no. You know? It's like, and I know if I ask him, this is going really well. It's like, ah. But seriously, that's, that's what we're here for, right? That's why we have church. That's, when you guys become members today, that's, that's our promise to you and your promise to us. We're like covenanting together to say we're going to support each other because we can't do this alone. We're easy targets if we're alone. If we're just standing here and we've got an obstacle, Satan is going, ah, I got him because there's no one else around him. No one else is going to help him. No one else is going to support him easy target for me just wait wait one moment where he takes his eyes slightly off boom i'll be right in there we need one another he said keep your eyes fixed watch and then he says trust in god you know all this stuff about wealthy and poor and all that the rich man will fade away i think what he's really trying to say is this don't trust in your circumstances. Don't trust in the physical realities of what you see, but trust in the spiritual promises that he gives to you. Let me say that again. Don't trust in what you see. Hebrews 11. Faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things not seen. You trust. These people were faithful. Why? Because they trusted in things, in the promises of God, not in their realities. Abraham was like, well, I'm a hundred years old, you know. They wouldn't even let me into the maternity department. Right? I'm on my pension already. Hey, how's that going to work? But he trusted in the promise. Don't know how it's going to work. When he had to give Isaac up. This is a child of promise doesn't make no sense what are you doing God but he trusts in the promise because you said so I'm going to do it you trust in what God has said to you you trust in the promises of his word not in what you see people of the flesh have to trust in what they see because they have nothing else people of the spirit trust in what God sees there's a radical difference between those two trust in what he's told you trust that he's going to see you through trust that this obstacle in front of you is a trial that he's given you the ability to overcome and when you overcome it there's going to be blessing and there's going to be growth and there's going to be joy in your life 
because that's why he put it there. Trust in who he is. And last thing, he says persevere. Persevere and become overcomers. He says you don't have to give up, keep going. He says every good and perfect gift comes from God. But he says, you know what, in verse 12, and then at the end he says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The crown of life in the Bible, there's a number of crowns. Maybe we'll do a series on them sometime. But the crown of life is God's recognition of you. Imagine, God, when you come into the heavenly courts, God's going to say, that's, that's my son, that's my daughter. You know what? I, I sent them this trial and they overcame it. I'm so proud of them. Any of you parents with your kids, when they do something amazing? Oh. Or grandparents? When your kids do something, you're like, oh. you feel like there's no words to explain it. Why? Because God's going to be feeling that for you and me if we persevere. Isn't that incredible? He's going to go, hey, look, look. This is Jeff. Jeff's coming. Jeff's coming. You know this Jeff guy? Like, I, I asked him to do this and this. I put these in his way. Look, look. He overcame every single one of them. That one took a bit longer, but hey, he got there in the end. Look at that. This, this is my son. Hey, angels, gather around. This is the guy. This is the guy. I was telling you about him. That's what it's going to be like. He says you're going to have a crown of life. The recognition of God that he says, you know what? It's amazing. And you know what Revelation says we're going to do with those crowns? We're just going to go. <laughs> Not frisbee. We're going to throw them before God and go, you know what? couldn't have done it without your help so it's all you some of you today will be going through trials know that God is with you know that we are with you rely on his word rely on your prayers don't ask God to remove the trial ask God to help you through it Ask God to give you the grace to see the pathway, the wisdom to see the pathway that he wants you to take. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Bring believers around you that can help you. You're not supposed to do it alone. Even Jesus, remember when he went to Gethsemane, what did he do? He says, pray for me. I'm not doing this alone. Pray for the trial that I'm about to go through because it's tough trust in what he's told you and when you persevere you will overcome why because his word says so and his word is true and you know sometimes when we hit these obstacles and the enemy uses them to become temptations and we end up going this way we have grace and grace says, you know what? 
I can turn you around. I can forgive you. I can take you back. Probably the same obstacle or one much like it will still be there for you. And I can help you to overcome it so that you grow. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for one another. We want to thank you for the obstacles, the trials that we have in our lives. Lord, you know we don't like them. But we also know that they help us to grow. And Lord, I want to grow. I don't want to be the same. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever because you're infinite. I don't want to be the same tomorrow as I am today. I want to grow in my spiritual life. I want to know more about you. I want to become better equipped. I want to, I want to live my life in a more pleasing way to you day by day. And so, Lord, bring obstacles, bring trials into my life, ones that with your help and the help of my brothers and sisters I can overcome so that I may grow deeper and deeper in my journey with you. Lord, I pray for any brother or sister here that's going through a trial. Number one, that you will keep them from temptation. Deliver us not into temptation. Save us from that. Give us your wisdom and your insight. Keep us close to you through prayer and your word, through worship, through all these other things, through one another, that we may overcome these trials and grow. Help us not to allow the enemy to use them for temptation's sake, where we make steps backwards instead of steps forward. Keep us going closer to you. And may we support one another. We thank you and we praise you as we continue this journey in the book of James. Spirit of God, come and strengthen us, we pray. For we pray in the name of Christ.